Ready? Born ready. Welcome back. It's another episode of your favorite political podcast, Where the Party At? I'm your host, Saba Long. So much has happened in a week's time. We're not going to get through everything because it would be a three-hour episode and we don't have time for that today. But we're going to talk about some big stuff that we want to make sure that you know about because this legislative session that's happening right now, there's so much going on, but I'm going to highlight one bill that I'm just so fascinated by. And I know we've been talking a lot on the pod about technology. And when I saw this, I was like, oh, wait, like I need to just like dedicate some time on the pod to talk about this because this is really fascinating. I don't have kids, but if I had kids, this is something that I'd be paying attention to. Or if you have like younger siblings or if you're in your teens, 20s, like this impacts you. But it could also, depending on how they end up finally writing the legislation, could impact everybody. So what is this? I'm talking about Senate Bill 351. This is uh, a Republican bill. The lead sponsor includes State Senator Jason Anavatarte. If you don't know who he is, he's uh, well connected to the governor's office, and he's one of the leaders in the state Senate. He's also the highest-ranked Hispanic in the state senate so that's pretty that's a big deal at least on the republican side um so what does senate bill 351 do well uh, if this bill passes as it's written today bills are subject to change it would prohibit minors from accessing social media sites while they are on school devices so think about your school computer school laptop or while you're using the school's wi-fi so it could be your personal device but if you're on the school's Wi-Fi, you can't access it. Another thing it might it, it would do is it would require parental consent. So as a parent, you would have to say to the school administrator that I want my child to have access to this. Right. So the parent, parental consent and the school administrator would have to say OK to unblocking the access. Another interesting thing it does is that it requires the local school boards to create social media policies for students. So when I saw this, I was like, well, I would imagine schools already have social media policies. And so I think what this really does is maybe some districts don't. If you think about some parts of maybe South Georgia or just more rural parts of Georgia, perhaps, I don't know this for a fact, but I'm, I'm wondering, maybe they don't have a social media policy. Or the policy they have is just, it's not deep enough. Like it doesn't, it just barely scratches the surface. An another thing about this bill is that it requires the Georgia Department of Education to actually make sure that these local school boards are adopting policy related to cyberbullying, which is a big problem, right? Um, and it says, this is the part that I think is probably most fascinating for people is that it sort of say in this legislation that social media providers, so think Meta, think IG, think TikTok, think X, aka Twitter, cannot allow minors under the age of 16 
to create a social media account without parental consent. Okay, and I'm going to read you exactly what this says on the, in the legislation as it's written today. And I quote, The provider of a social media platform shall make commercially reasonable efforts to verify the age of account holders with a level of certainty appropriate to the risk that arise from the social media platform's information management practices or shall apply the special conditions applied to minors under this chapter to all account holders. Now, I know that was a mouthful. So the part that I want to really hone in on is commercially reasonable effort. So who determines that Meta or Twitter or any other company has made a commercially reasonable effort to ensure the age of that individual? I kind of thought they already did that, though. Like, I have children, and they couldn't create any social media without us. How old are your children? When How old were they when they were trying to do that? Th- this is new now. So about 13. Right. Or- we're talking about 16. So 13, oh, the okay, federally okay. 13 is the mm-hmm. cutoff. Mm-hmm. Right. What this bill does is say, let's raise that to 16. Gotcha. Okay. It gets a little iffy around there. 16, 17, 18 depending on your teenager, depending on their home situation, there's a lot of autonomy that comes with that. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk about that. Um, again, I want to read verbatim what the legislation says. No provider of a social media platform shall permit a minor to be an account holder unless such provider obtains the express consent of such minor's parent or guardian. Right? And so, the, again, this is for 16. Um Now, the difference between the Georgia bill and the Florida bill is the Florida bill says we don't care about parental consent. You're still not allowed to be on there. If the government says you're not allowed to be on there, that supersedes what your parent would say. So why is this happening? Right. Why would Georgia be considering this bill? Why is Florida considering this bill? And they're not the only two states who have done something to this effect. So the U.S. Surgeon General who has written a lot in the past three years, certainly in part because of the pandemic, but he's written a lot about loneliness in America and the impact of technology on that. And so uh, his study, which he did last year, says that up to 95% of kids ages 13 to 17 report using a social media platform. That's probably no surprise, right? Uh, More than a third say that they use social media almost constantly. I wonder, when I hear almost constantly, I wonder how frequent are we we talking about? Are we talking about you're on social media five hours a day? You're on social media 10 hours a day, right? There's a big difference there. Uh, And they go on to say in this report that frequent social media use can be associated with changes in the developing brain, right? In the amygdala which we know is important for emotional learning and behavior. And then the prefrontal prefrontal cortex. This is a little wonky, but I think these are two parts of the brain that most of us have probably heard about before. Um, And that's about impulse control, your prefrontal cortex. It's all about impulse control, regulating and managing your emotions, moderating your behavior. And so if you think about those two parts of the brain, particularly the prefrontal cortex, does not develop in full 
and I think in, in men, it's like in males until they're about 25. So if you think about the impact of consistently, constantly being on social media, then what does that really, how does that impact that kid? Um, and it's not just the government that's concerned about this. It's parents too, right? So a majority of parents who were surveyed through this U.S. Surgeon General report say that they are somewhat very or extremely worried that their child's use of social media could lead to problems with anxiety or depression. 53% of people surveyed said that. Lower self-esteem, 54%. Being harassed or bullied by others, which we just talked about this legislation in Georgia, would address bullying, cyberbullying, 54%. Feeling pressure to act a certain way, which isn't new to social media. That was always around, uh, but we can see the impact of that more, 59%. And then the kicker, exposure to explicit content. 71% of parents surveyed said that they were worried about that as it relates to social media and their kids, which I can totally understand that. So I think the question here is, is this proposed law good public policy, right? Because sometimes you introduce legislation, you use the process like the Georgia General Assembly, or maybe your city council, or maybe your county commission to to pass legislation that you think helps more than it hurts. But might there be unintended consequences? We don't know. It's to be determined. Again, from the Surgeon General study, nearly 80% of parents believe that the tech companies have a responsibility to protect kids from inappropriate content. So it's not just on, these parents are saying, it's not just on the government, it's not just on me as a parent, but it's also on the tech companies. I, I think there's some truth to there, right? Um, and then some of the provisions in the Senate Bill 351 are also recommendations that are in that Surgeon General's report. You can look at the show notes and read the full Surgeon General's report. The other thing I thought about with this, Keith, is if I'm a parent who has a 12-year-old entrepreneur and we're they're selling some business right? And social media is how they are marketing it. That child, I would, I would have to be the one to create that account. The child cannot. Yeah. That's, that's, that's one part of it too. It's, I see a lot of things, you know, back and forth on that. And I would like to be able to just let my child run their social media. I think that's why the parents are saying, yeah, the tech companies have to do their part too, especially if all these dollars and all this money is a simple algorithm. Like you can figure it out that algorithm, right? you know, but I should be able, it's like letting your kid go outside and play, mm -hmm. right? You should be able to let your kid go outside and play. And I should be able to sit on the front porch, even look through the window and trust that the neighborhood is safe. Right. But if the neighborhood but isn't the safe. But the digital playground but it's very different exactly. than the physical playground. It is, but that's why we have we need those safeguards. We need the police, right? And not just police, good citizens, right. right? And then what do we do with the bad actors? And I feel like the this digital playground, it wasn't made by the public, it was made by those companies. So those companies kind of have right responsibility in it. Yeah. You know, if the playground is messed up, you call the city, right? Right. And they fix it. So this is Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, so, it's, it's, it's a mixture of this legislation yeah. in, in there because, but I don't think you have to raise the age. 
Mm. You know? Yeah. I think raising the age is, is pushing it because you can't, I don't think you should raise the age past the emancipation age. Like if I can. Six, isn't 16 the, 16 the emancipation age? Yeah. So if you put it past that, it's like, so I can be on my own, but I can't get on social media without all this paperwork. Like, yeah, that's too, that's, that's too right. much, you know? So there's a lot of communication that happens with social media apps. Like I know, especially for kids, like a lot of kids don't even really have full full blown plans. You know, my kids do, but some kids don't have full blown plans. They mm-hmm. just have the phones or the tablets with right. Wi-Fi access and we communicate through right. WhatsApp. WhatsApp, is that considered social media? Because some people do, some people don't. Yeah. You know, Snapchat, is that considered social Definitely. media? Some yeah. You know, but these also communications. So, right. you know, Twitter. Well, b- yeah. before, Twitter used to be more communication. It's not so much now. But, you know, there's some apps. It's Facebook Messenger. Right. Say I don't have Facebook, but I'm using Facebook Messenger. And right. I or if you think about, like, online gaming. Because I think about my nephew, who's 14. That who's, too. Who's gaming. Yeah. And they're communicating back and forth. Exactly. Right. We don't know the age of the person that he's communicating with. And that... Yeah, yeah, it, and that's why some of it is parental as well, and then knowing your kid and kind of monitoring, you know? right? Because I also feel like what social media does do on the positive side, it kind of does help you screen your kid, and you're like, you posted that, what made you repost that? You know, let's mm-hmm. let's let's talk about this, yeah. you know? And oh, well, I have an interest in this. Oh, you do? Okay, cool. You know, it might be something that because we're we don't need that as, as if we're not digital parents. You know, you're not talking to my grandma. Right. You know, then you're talking to me. I, right. I'm on social media, too, and I knew what it was being in school, and I remember that fight of the phone, right? I wasn't trying to use my phone to do extra stuff, but I needed to have a phone because I had a little brother, little sister. Yeah. My dad works far. I'm responsible. Right. But if you just see my phone, oh, give me your Oh, I, that used to be a fight. Now, I, the kids are allowed to have their phones in school. The social media is the next step. It's, 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 it's a lot, but I think the legislation is going the right way, giving parents some say so. I don't agree with Florida. I didn't know Florida didn't give parents any consent. Yeah, That's, it hasn't fully passed yet. It's yeah. working its way through both chambers, but the bill as of a few days ago was the parents didn't have consent, a little, a little which weird. doesn't make any sense to yeah, me, yeah. especially if you think about all the Florida laws that have been passed lately about mm-hmm parental rights and we want the parent to have the say so in what's happening in the school Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. then you need to let me have a say so over what my child is doing or not doing on social media yeah but that's our only pushback on the raising of the age because 16 is because we're trying to prepare these children too you know like 16 you can vote in two years right you know so social media and social media is going to change on us. That's the other thing you don't realize. Like, we're not young enough to even know what the new social media is. Kids communicate through Roblox. Didn't right. know that. Yeah. Like, did not know that. So, yeah. they're going to find a way. So, I think keeping it at 13, but trying to bring more accountability to the companies, I think that's a good thing. Right. You know, now, how do you hold them accountable? I don't know. Could this be a money grab? Who knows? But the intention is, you know. Yeah. So not only is there legislation in Georgia, but there's also some federal legislation. Okay. And Senate Bill 1291 was introduced in April of 2023. So last year, this was a bipartisan bill to start to address this issue. Mm -hmm. And the bill as written would require social media platforms to verify the age of the account holder 
but also limit access to such platforms by children, which is what we've just talked about, mm -hmm. requires parental consent and bans accounts for those under the age of 13. Yeah, and some sites already kind of do that, you know? Yeah, so it's not, the problem is that this isn't universal, right? And they want this to be universal across all platforms. So maybe platform A is much more cognizant about what it allows kids to see, but platform mm -hmm. B, it's a total free-for-all. Yeah. And they don't want that inconsistency. And and this is where I think um, we got we got to start being more tech savvy. Like I mean, I might sound like Andrew Yang, but like we need some of that in offices because YouTube does a pretty good job on how they distinguish distinguish between what's made for children yeah. and not for children. Right. Now, stuff they have like YouTube through. kids, right? Yeah, but not yeah. just that. When you make a video, like right now, we'll put this video on YouTube. We can click this for kids, and it's going to make it do a different thing, meaning that mm. you can't even play it in the background because they don't want kids just not paying attention to the video. If you're on YouTube as a kid, you're learning. Mm. You're not just listening. You're not just having it yeah. play. Um, you can't put comments mm. because children videos shouldn't have comments because what what would y'all be doing in there? Yeah. But that's if we just wanted this specific video, and this is not necessarily a children video, but it is educational. Right. So we could do that. Yeah. Little algorithms like that could work across the board for some other companies, but it would require us coming together, you know, a little bit. So yeah. there's stuff there. You know, the issue is we're not all, there's no co cohesive think tank when it comes to technology, right. government, and public policy. So Senator Tom Cotton, who's a Republican senator, I believe in Arkansas, um, he said to this point about like what's, at what point can the kid make the decision with the parent on what they want to do? So he said, if a child is too young to sign a contract or too young to open a bank account in the real world, then they're too young to sign a terms of agreement service with the social media company. Which I can understand that. In common sense. Yeah. Um, now, so a, a group said this kind of encounter to what Tom Co Senator Tom Cotton said, and, and I quote, we believe that any legislation addressing harm on social media should put the onus on companies, which is what we've been talking about, to make their platforms safer instead of preventing kids and teens from being on the platform at all. And that's from Zaman Qureshi, who is the co-chair of a youth coalition called Design It For Us. And Design It For Us is all about, to your point, Keith, making sure that kids or youth have a voice in legislation that's going to impact them around technology. So that legislation, as I said, was introduced in April of 2023. It was referred to committee, and we haven't heard a peep about it since. Which makes me wonder to what extent and just how fervently have the tech companies lobbied, uh, you know, Congress lobbied the Senate to say, okay, hold up, like you're doing too much. Leave us alone. Put put the onus on the parent. This is all about individual choice. We don't have anything to do with it. Yeah, yeah. We're I, just I, the vehicle. I, and I and I kind of agree. I agree with that. I agree. I agree. You put the onus on the parents and us as parents. If we push our politicians hard enough, we'll get the tech companies to bend because they're right. You know, enough parents do have to come out to say something about it. But uh, you do want. Because we talk about this all the time. Sometimes I have children, and it's crazy how 
you know, things aren't made for kids, but it's so many kids. So it's right. like, yeah, your kids should be able to just get on Facebook and message granny and auntie and whoever else is on there. Right. Without an onslaught of fucking freaking predators. Yeah. <laughs> an onslaught of predators. <laughs> right. Because I hate thinking about it because it's yeah. crazy because I got kids and it's like, you yeah. want them to be able to just use technology. Right. You know, and yeah. in kind of like an open space that's that's accessible, like, you want to be forward thinking. So I don't want you to be uh, non-digital yeah. Yeah, already. Like, yeah. Like, come on, man. Yeah. But, yeah. So those companies, yeah. Yeah. They do better. Right. The only thing about this uh, Senate bill, United States Senate, is that it require um, age verification across the board. So that would mean that I would have to, I'm, a, I'm guessing, like show proof of my age. That's what I'm saying. Now, I, that's that's what I'm trying to figure out. Do they mean they want to make it more like scan your ID verification? Because I'm I'm not with that. I'm right. with kind of what we already have now where right. put your age in. And if you're a parent setting this up for it, right. that's what I'm saying. I should be a parent to set it up for my child. Yeah. And let, like I said, let my child go outside and play. But as know? a parent, if you're creating a social media account, and you're required to show proof that your child is of age and you've given them consent, you've got to show the tech company something to prove that your child is the age that you've said that they are. Right. So this kind of goes back into the unintended consequences. And it's like, there is no perfect way to do this. So that's the Senate bill that's working its way through the Georgia state legislature. There are a ton of other bills that are happening in real time. Uh, if you, if you're not familiar with how the legislator works, it goes back to the session, the episode last week, where we did a primer, just helping you understand. Here's the process. Here's how a bill becomes law. Here are all the little things that has to happen for that bill to make it to the governor's desk uh, for signature and to officially pass. And there's information on how you can get involved. Don't let legislation and politics happen to you. You want this to happen with you. All right, the next thing we're going to talk about, we're going to go all the way over to something completely different. And that is your girl from South Carolina, (laughs) Nikki Haley. Um, We just had the uh, Iowa caucus where she came in third. The New Hampshire primary is today, if you're listening on Tuesday when the episode drops. And then the South Carolina uh, primary will be in about a month. So I want you to listen to an exchange between Nikki Haley and a couple of guys in New Hampshire. Good Good to see. Nice to see you, Dean. Oh, I love that. We don't get out and vote on Tuesday. It's important. Can I ask you just like a tiny question? Do you think it's responsible for politicians to spend like $100 million in Iowa on TV ads, which go to mainly news stations that have lied to us for years when there's homeless veterans out there that could use that money? When you didn't even come close to beating Trump and you spent like a hundred million in TV ad money. Do you know my husband's veteran? That's fine. 
fine. But I'm just saying. I'm and asking do you know that you, when the media doesn't tell the truth, the whole reason you put commercials on is to tell the truth because yeah, the media doesn't? My point is you're not going to be Trump. And you know all what? the money you're wasting could go to better so, causes. I appreciate That would make that. the Republican Party actually. Oh, no, sorry. You know what? Last I saw it was yeah. a democracy. So we're going to keep working yeah. for a good democracy. Right. We're going to work for freedom. But thank you for your service. Uh, that was pretty funny. Uh, he he should have waited to drop the hook though. Like he almost uh, had her. Uh-huh. Like he had her when he was like, you know, wasting money on fake news, and she was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. because you didn't beat. See now, if he would have kept going and made it seem like he was talking about DeSantis, mm. she probably would have agreed, and then he could have asked, well, what about you? Yeah, because you you know, but that's funny. Yeah, so <laughs> that's funny. You know, Tim Scott endorsed. Donald Trump over the weekend, uh, which is big because Nikki Haley appointed Tim Scott to the Senate when she was the governor of South Carolina. Mm. Uh, And Tim Scott said this, which Keith, I'm sure you've got some thoughts on it. And I quote, we don't, we need a president who does not see black and white. Again, Tim Scott says we need a president who doesn't see black or white. We need a president who sees Americans as one American family. We need Donald Trump. Like, this is the same Donald Trump who said something about blood and and the blood of America being basically, like, dirtied. I don't know. I find that clue. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know. He's talking about immigration. See, the thing about Tim Scott, though. You know, Tim Scott does these little dog whistles that, like, I mean, if you're talking about Nimrata, then she does see black or white. Hearing that kind of stuff and seeing the mix and knowing Tim Scott and Nikki, how they are in South Carolina, yeah, it was easy. It's easy for Tim Scott to do. I also wonder, what is he looking for? Oh, oh, right. yes. You took the next step yeah. out of my mouth. I He's mean, getting I, something. Yeah, yes. I can't imagine yes. it would be vice president. Nah. I can't imagine mm-hmm. it would be that. Mm-hmm. But maybe it's some cabinet position. It, it'll or... be some type of nice, pointed, cushy. Right. You know, I've been working pretty hard. To... Yeah. You know, let me take some trips. Yeah. You know, let me just, you know, I, I, I'll, I'll rep, represent for you. And he's a sensible black person, so he could be a little conduit. Because right, right. now Trump is trying to get yeah. his black, you know, constituents mm-hmm. back because he has lost them. You know? Right. He's, he's toned down his rhetoric. I don't know if you noticed, but he's stopped. Yeah. He's but trying the, to get Jamal. Yeah. <laughs> like Matt Gates said. <laughs> he said, I'm going for Jamal and Juan. That's just Jamal and Julio. Juan. Yeah. Oh, Julio. Yeah, Jamal, Julio. And, Jamal and Julio. Yeah, Juan too. Yeah. They could be either or. <laughs> <laughs> so a big issue in this 24 primary has been that both Nikki Haley and Ron DeSantis have not done a good job of coming after Trump. Mm-hmm. Instead, they've gone after each other. We saw a lot of Nikki Haley and Vivek Ramaswamy going after each other, right, in these in these primary debates. And Nikki Haley is finally just starting, barely, in the 11th hour to go after Trump. Yeah. And she said, and I quote here, everybody wants to talk about how good the economy was under Trump. He put us $8 trillion in debt in four years. Now, I know she's probably hoping, okay, this gets, again, she's just trying to get to South Carolina. Like, South Carolina is her last stand. 
The governor of the state of Iowa endorsed DeSantis. DeSantis mm. came in second. Just, I mean, Nikki Haley was like just on his heels, like two points behind him. Trump won the Iowa caucuses by more than 50%. The governor of the state of New Hampshire has endorsed Nikki Haley. The expectation is that Trump will win, likely by 50%, although New Hampshire is really strong with independence. So the assumption is that Trump is in the 50s, Nikki's in the 30s, and then DeSantis is a distant third. The governor of South Carolina has endorsed Trump. Dang. So she's got Tim Scott, senator, who's endorsed Trump. Lindsey Graham, I don't know if he has fully endorsed him, but he's like all but endorsed him. Mm -hmm. So the two senators and the governor of South Carolina. So the question is, will she have enough money to even make it to South Carolina? Or is this all a foregone conclusion that Trump is going to win? So just go ahead and drop out. You don't even need to make it to South Carolina because we already know what's going to happen. That's the big question, right? I mean, the Trump campaign has already said, hey, Nikki, drop out. Now, the longer she stays in the race, the more history she makes mm -hmm. as the Republican woman making it this far. Right? No Republican woman has ever won a presidential primary or caucus has never won a state or won a caucus in mm. a primary. And, I mean, clearly her hope is that I may not, you know, what did Hillary say, like, after she lost? I was like, I didn't break the glass ceiling, but I shattered it. Yes. Yeah, and I guess like that's... Put a crack in it. Or yeah, like put a crack in it. So I, that's what Nikki is inevitably trying to do. Now, I will say this, and it's funny you talked about Nikki Haley. You put on your headphones. I got a clip for you. Okay. She might be able to get South Carolina because she has an endorsement from South oh, Carolina's God. very own. <laughs> I don't know, man. I just think, and, and I just think Republicans are, are really dropping the ball on an opportunity to really strengthen the party. You know what I mean? If you really want to take the party back from Trump, if it's really not the MAGA party, like y'all say. So you like, you Haley? like Haley. I don't like her. I just think it's politically smart to do it. But we know what they're playing for. They're not playing for, you know, they're not they're not playing for the next four years. What they're they playing, playing for forever. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, you know, a little, little mini, small endorsement, a little a little way. Um, it was for, a nod. It was a nod. It, for it, sure. it, yeah, it was something for like people to think about on the Republican side, like hmm, because he just said something like if Trump. If if you do this with Trump, this is going to solidify something. You know what I'm the saying? The problem is that train has already left the station. You know, you know what Nikki Haley has to do? Sit down conversation with Charlemagne about race. And I guarantee you, <laughs> it'll shake shit up. It'll shake it'll shake it up. I'm gonna bleed that out. It'll shake it up. Because but she's not gonna do it. She's not gonna do this it. This is the same did. woman who just said I, I can't remember exactly how she phrased it, but there was something about, about slavery. yeah, about yeah. slavery and, and civil war. She had to come out and say, "Hey, look, I was stupid." Like how, just like how Hillary did, it just kind. Of, oh, when you, she did the, uh, the, the hot sauce and yeah, yeah, but there was something else she said about black people. The um, predators or something. Predators, like that. Yeah. super predators, super predators, super predators. And she said it was a stupid statement. You know, yeah. she came back and and walked it back and. I feel like what does Nikki Haley have to lose by doing that, you know? But she would have to stand on it. 
You know, maybe she should talk to her new black son-in-law. That's see, that's what I'm saying. She got it. All she has to do is just say like, "Hey, you know what? I'm here to talk about it because she's kind of not responsible for what happened to her as far as choosing what side she chose on. That was something that happened in America. You know what I mean? Like you get to choose, yeah, but you also don't get to choose I get what schools you go to and what how they treat you if they think you're white. But she would have to come out and say that, and she might lose some white people. But I think if the Republican Party, because how they, you know, they got to get behind you regardless, they'll galvanize that and you'll pull a bunch. You'll pull a bunch. But why is that on Nikki Haley? Because that's what's, that's what's wrong with that's her. That's her thorn. You know, Trump, Trump, he already has his play. He got Tim Scott. He's going to have a couple other black people come out and endorse him. He's going to stop talking. I don't know where Larry Elder is. I'm assuming he's already endorsed. Maybe Larry Elder, you know, he likes to work the deal. Okay. So he has to, yeah, when when we get closer to Cali and everything, (laughs) oh, yeah, you'll hear more from him. But right now, Tim Scott, South Carolina's coming up. Everybody's trying to get a deal. And Trump's the art of the deal. You know, he wrote the book. (laughs) You know, ghost written, but you know, yeah, got the book done. Got the book. His name is on the book. His name is on the book. (laughs) Yeah, I just don't. I I agree that that would be a big shift. I just don't see them taking that risk because they're too binary. Mm -hmm. It's like I only have option one or option two. There's no third option. There's no thinking outside the box to win this election. Yeah. Yeah. But also, on the Republican Party, there's all this angst about Trump. And if you look at it, who showed up in the Iowa caucuses, it was overwhelmingly MAGA types. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that in derogatory terms. I'm saying that in the sense of that's who, that's the, that's it the was group. Trump's diehard supporters who mm-hmm. came out. And other Republicans did not. And so if that trend continues, then does that mean that Biden does have a shot? Because uh, no. the the folks who were the person who like a, a Chris Sununu, the governor of New Hampshire, who mm-hmm. endorsed Nikki Haley, does he ultimately vote for Trump after everything that they have said about he's a disaster for the country? Mm-hmm. So I, so I don't know. Or like if we were talking before, like maybe we will see a, a reverse of the Bradley effect, where mm-hmm. people say, "I'm going to vote for Trump." You think about like Brian Kemp, right? Mm-hmm. Governor of Georgia. Maybe he publicly says he's voting for Trump, but he he goes in the ballot box and he skips the presidential mm-hmm. and he votes down the ticket or he votes for Biden or he does a write in. He does everything but actually vote for Trump. I, I think it depends on each person's political aspirations. But no yeah. one would know because you pulled a Republican. No, I'm saying Personally, like Personally. You, you, even as a Republican, there's a space where Biden wins and it's beneficial for you. Sure. So you would go in there. Yeah, you vote down ticket yeah. for other people. But it's like I'm, what Jeff Duncan did. Right. Who was a former said, lieutenant governor of yeah. Georgia in the race against Warnock and Herschel Walker. He said, I went into the voting booth and I just couldn't pull <laughs> the trigger for Herschel Walker. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Right. Now, he said it out loud. Yeah. But we know that there were a number of people who went into that voting booth and voted for Warnock and voted for Kemp. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. And so perhaps yeah. there will I, be some version of this in yeah. 24 where people will vote for their Republican 
state senator. Especially if like the Democrats shake it up, you know, and possibly get Biden out of there. But that's that's I'll be next week's pot. <laughs> that's not happening. By the way, Dean Phillips, who's a Democrat running, and is like you know nobody's giving him any time of day. I, yeah, I did see him. He, yeah, Dean Phillips and Marianne Williamson are both running. As yeah, Democrats. I thought she dropped out. I guess not. Yeah, but. This dude, just over the weekend, Bill Ackman, I don't know if you know Bill Ackman, this big private equity guy. He's the one who was the loudest voice behind getting uh, Claudine Gay uh, kicked out yes. of Harvard, uh-huh. right? Yes. The president of Harvard um, removed from the position over alleged, um, uh, what you call it? Uh, plagiarism, plagiarism at Harvard, yeah. yeah. Just like his so, wife did. Mm-hmm. Right. So Bill Ackman called Dean Phillips and was like, hey, on your campaign website, you have this DEI stuff. And what is up with you and DEI? And Dean Phillips did a combination of removing content and rephrasing content related to DEI because of a call with Bill Ackman, this billionaire. So he just changed his site? Yeah. Because Dean Phillips, I mean, uh, Bill Ackman was not okay with what he had put on his website related to DEI. What is Bill? Okay, so is Bill Ackman the, just the new player or something? Just I guess he, he's, I guess Working so. behind the scenes? Okay. I guess he's the new Peter Thiel, right? I, I, I mean, Peter so. Thiel was another billionaire who put up J.D. Vance, who went on to win uh, Senate in Iowa, or in Ohio, rather. And then he put up a potential uh, Senate candidate in Arizona, if I'm not mistaken. And that candidate ended up losing. But this thing, we talk about this on the pod with some frequency about billionaire influence in American politics. And here's a prime example. I mean, Dean Phillips will not be president of the United States, at least no time soon. But the fact that this billionaire can call you up and say, I don't like that you've got this DEI stuff and I need you to change that if you want my support wild wow one one last thing about the election uh, as it relates to 24 presidential if nikki haley drops out or i guess when nikki haley drops out uh the co-chair of no labels which is this third party effort this independent effort um they have basically said that if joe biden and donald trump are the two nominees for president, no label said they we will put up a third an, an alternative ticket, and they've asked Nikki Haley to be part of what they're calling their unity ticket. But her campaign said she's a Republican and she's going to stay a Republican. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know. We'll see, see, that's why the Republicans always edge out, right? Because of that. Yeah, they stick with each other no matter what. And Democrats be like, oh, you weren't. You weren't liberal enough on this, or you weren't conservative enough on this, and mm-hmm. I'm done with you. I'm out. Yeah. Man. All right. Let's go to party poopers and party starters. So we'll kick off with the party pooper. Um, this is related to politics for sure. So the Baltimore Sun is a conservative paper in Baltimore. Think about it as kind of like the AJC here, like it's a big paper. Um, They were just purchased by the same guy who owns Sinclair Media. If you've heard of Sinclair, I want you to 
take a listen to this clip. This might be familiar. Hi, I'm Fox San Antonio's Jessica Headley. And I'm Ryan Wolf. Our, our greatest, greatest responsibility, responsibility is to, to serve, serve our, our Treasure Valley communities, the El Paso Las Cruces communities, Eastern Iowa communities, Mid-Michigan communities. We are extremely proud of the quality, balanced journalism that CBS 4 News produces. But we are concerned about trouble and trying to be responsible one-sided news stories plaguing our country. The sharing of biased and false news has become all too common on social media. Moral alarming. Some media outlets publish these same fake stories without checking facts first. The sharing of biased and false, false news has, has become, become all too common, common on, on social, social media. media. More alarming. So if you're <laughs> creeped out by that or trying to figure out what the heck that is, so Sinclair Media is this conglomerate of TV stations across the country. And what we found out, I think it was maybe uh, Bill Maher or one of the guys on HBO, I think. Pulled, yeah. yeah or or John Maher. Oliver, one of them. It might have been John Oliver. Yeah, it might have been John Oliver. Right. And they went and looked at this at Sinclair stations and they were all they were feeding their reporters all the same information about news bias and it was just it was a little creepy especially if you watch the clip you're like oh my god there's no this is my local tv station but there's this top-down approach telling me what i have to listen to in this tv station and so this guy's incredibly conservative um and he we don't know what's going to happen to the baltimore sun uh, but you can expect some changes to happen and this isn't just in baltimore this is happening across the country where private equity or very, very wealthy people are buying local news, uh, particularly local newspapers, and they are putting their stamp on them. They're removing community voice. Uh, they're emphasizing one thing over another. And these stations or these news outlets are not truly reflective of the community. And so I just, I bring this up to remind everyone listening that Locally owned news is incredibly important. It's important in making sure that your voice is heard. It's important in making sure that the stories that are happening in your community are told with you and not for others. So I just want to highlight that. Um, and then on to the party starter. This is something local that's really good that I want to mention. If you haven't heard of it, check out the People's Community Land Trust. This is a collaboration between the Guild, Housing Justice League, which I'm sure we've talked about on the pod a lot before, and then the American Friends Services Committee's Atlanta Economic Justice Program. These organizations came together to purchase a nine-unit apartment building near Mercedes-Benz Stadium, and they're making all of those units deeply affordable. So not $1,500 for a one-bedroom, but deeply, deeply affordable. So for someone who has a family, you know, three or four, and they're living on $30,000, imagine what they would be able to pay. That's what they're pricing these units at. Now, I know it's only nine units, but it's a drop in the bucket at the end of the day. But when you think about the housing needs in Atlanta, every little bit helps, every little bit counts. And so I just want to say kudos to them. for They are the party starter for saying we're going to do our part to address housing affordability and housing insecurity 
for the folks at the lowest ends of the economic ladder. So kudos to you guys. All right, y'all, that is today's show. As always, thank you for tuning in. Check the show notes. The legislative session is going on. You can always go down to the Capitol, see what's happening, contact your elected officials, make sure they know who you are and make sure that you know what they are doing on your behalf. As always, thank you for tuning in.